everyone. Welcome to semester two, episode two of Just Admit It, where former deans and directors of admission give insight to the complex college admissions process. I'm Nat, um, an Ivy Wise admissions counselor and former senior assistant director of admissions at NYU and NYU Abu Dhabi. Uh, and joining me today is my friend and fellow Ivy Wise colleague, Christine, who is a former assistant director of admission at Yale and Georgetown. Now, in this episode, we'll be talking about perhaps one of the biggest questions students have about the admissions process, which is how do college admissions officers evaluate transcripts? So um, it's often been said that if there was one piece of information that an admissions officer could have in the entire file, you know, many would say like, oh, it would be it would be the transcript. So, Christine, please start us off. Um, do you agree with this? Is the, is the transcript the most important piece of information? Yeah, that's such a good question that Thank you for the intro. Um, I would absolutely agree. Um, and the reason is, which seems obvious and intuitive, but sometimes it's helpful to just be reminded that um, college is ultimately an academic endeavor. I think we, sure. uh, when I think about my college years, I think of a lot of different things and you know, some of the best four years of my life I would say for sure, but ultimately it is about the academic piece. Um, students are there to learn, to gain knowledge, to gain skills, in addition to life experiences, um, you know, building friendships, et cetera. So I think that, you know, the really the foundational question, um, I, I heard it actually from admissions officer when I was attending some of the virtual session during the pandemic season, and he really put it so well, and I've been saying it again and again since, um, three fundamental questions, an admissions officer, and this is whether you are at Harvard or wherever it may be, your local university, they're asking, can the student, can the applicant do the work? Will the applicant do the work? Which are similar, but very different, right? Um, and of course, what they will bring to the process. Um, but the foundational two questions, I think, because college is an academic endeavor, is can the student do the work and will they do the work? Um, and there's no better place to answer those two questions than to go to the transcript. Of course, there are other parts of the application um, that will get at those two questions as well. Um, students' activities and recommendations from teachers and counselors, all of those things uh, matter. Um, but the transcript will say a lot in one, you know, one page will say a lot. Um, I often think about your former um, institution, uh, NYU, which uh, yeah. this year received a record number of applications, over 100,000. Um, crazy number, yeah. Yes, right. Um, I, I think about like, you know, how you used to read applications, how I used to read applications. Um, I actually had the luxury of what we call front to back. We read files from the beginning to the end, and often the transcript is at the end. Uh, but these days, I just don't Think that's sustainable when you're trying to understand a student and whether right. or not they can do the work or will they do the work. Um, so when you're handling such a high volume, um, they are looking immediately at admissions officers at the transcript. Um, and two big components uh, that they're looking for, one is course rigor. Mm -hmm. uh, what type of courses has a student taken over the last four years of high school? And all four years matter. And of course, their grades um, you know, how do they do on a day-to-day -day basis um, in these particular courses? So those are really always the most fundamental, I think, components um, that admissions officers are looking for. Um, and finally, I, I think, you know, um, it bears to um, say it again, that context matter, um, you know, during the pandemic, I think we realized that every school um, had a different response to the pandemic and how they um, responded to the grading system. Um, but even in a normal year, um, the school context matters 
a lot. You know, I remember reading uh, applications and going directly to the school profile to understand the type of courses offer at this particular high school. And even if they are on the AP system, for instance, maybe not all AP classes are offered or the sequence is different. Um, some schools limit students to the number of APs a sophomore can take or the number of APs a junior can take. Um, right. Or non-AP schools, same thing, um, all the more to understand the different type of classes offered and the rigor, um, even for IB um, diploma program, which seems a little bit more straightforward, but yet, you know, not every IB mm-hmm. school offer the same number of courses and the sequence. So the school context really uh, matters a lot. So I always go to yeah. um, the school profile. So that's right. Yeah, Christine, you bring up a great point. And I know we've talked about this kind of uh, ad nauseum, you know, mm-hmm. during different roundtables, but this, this, um, this concept of like strength of school, right? And uh, you know, some reading rubrics when they're when they're looking at an application, reviewing an application, they'll actually give you a rating for your strength of school, and that is essentially, you know, it's a proxy of you know the socioeconomic well-being of that student body, right? Because there is a, a huge correlation between you know um, affluent communities and then strength of school and vice versa, right? And so, um, but there are all, also places that don't necessarily give a strength of school rating as we've talked about, mm-hmm. but it really comes down to the admissions the admission officer's knowledge of that school and that context. So is a 4.2 a good grade? And, you know, when the, the, the highest GPA in the class would be perhaps like a 4.6 if it's a weighted scale, right? So um, that goes exactly to your point um, of context and how important the context is, right? So it's, you know, oftentimes when a student says, oh, I have a 3.6, you know, like what are my chances, yeah. you know? And, and you see this on, you know, on these online forums, like here, you know, they, yeah. they give out their, their GPA and that's just, that is so not enough information right. for us to make. The contextual information is so, so important. So yeah, a, a 3.6 at a certain school you know, could be the top GPA mm-hmm. where a 4.2 at another school or hundreds of other schools that might not even put you in the top, 10% of the class, right? So that is really important to remember. I'm glad you brought that up in terms of um, in terms of contextual information. Um, the school profile, is this something that, that gets included with every application or, or, or do you look at it each time or do you memorize it? Tell us more about the school profile. Um, I don't think every school, high school out there will have a school profile. Many will, so yeah. they will send it along just to uh, be helpful. Um, I do take a look. I think, you know, um, and this is another um, nuance in the admissions process that some admissions offices will have what we call regional admissions officers. So a particular staff member, um, uh, admissions officer who is assigned to a particular region. I, for example, used to read Northern California and I read um, Montgomery County, Maryland. So I got to know the schools really well. I get to travel there in the fall. Um, so students, you know, or parents, if you're listening, you know, um, it, you often, you know, see the signups in the fall, right? an admissions officer right. is coming to your high school or someone who's doing a presentation. So um, being in a particular region, um, you get to know the schools a little bit. And, you know, I mean, I know that schools over, we both of us been in admissions for <laughs> decades, dare I say, <laughs> to not to date us too much, um, but we've seen an evolution too, right? So you can know a school, but all of a sudden they're changing their curriculum. Um, I know there's been a movement um, 
it, it kind of in both directions, speaking more specifically about the APs, um, right. movement toward more APs, adding AP capstone, AP research, AP seminar, as well as a, way, a movement away from APs. Right. Um, you know, advanced topics or just honor level courses that are post AP or non AP. Um, so schools don't stay static. Um, so even for those of us who are familiar with the particular school admissions officers who are familiar with schools in their area, um, it's still uh, helpful every year to kind of revisit, you know, what's different, um, what's same. Um, and that's something I think, you know, just hearing from very admissions officers through the pandemic is that because um, the virtual option has become more feasible, that hopefully um, admission officers will be able to get to know high schools uh, better or students better um, through yeah. virtual means when they can't get to them geographically, uh, mm -hmm. a particularly remote area in Northern California that I just couldn't drive to. But now if they can come in virtually, they can get to know school um, and the academic offerings um, in that particular context. It's uh, a great point. Yeah. Another uh, something else that you said that really resonated with me and kind of it triggered like, oh, my gosh, yeah, that's right. Was uh, was, you know, you got to read. You had the luxury of reading front to back. Yeah. Right. And now there is more of a trend where uh, some schools are are being very visible about what they call, you know, CBE, right, committee based evaluation, mm -hmm. which essentially kind of splits the read in half. Right. And mm -hmm. the reason why this is, um, I guess, advantageous for for a few reasons, you know, admissions officers feel like they can read and they can get into a flow more readily because mm -hmm. they're just doing the academic rating. And so they're just looking at transcripts on a certain day. And so they can go through a larger number of applications because they're just looking at a certain part of the application where their partner reader might be looking at the personal quality rating and they'd be reading, you know, the teacher recommendations. They'd be looking at the extracurricular activities and things of that nature. And so you get this, you get into a mode where you can just, you're doing transcript after transcript. Um, and then in this, in this model, most oftentimes, you know, students don't go to committee unless they have certain scores or certain ratings in the academic part, right? So, and I think that's especially true right now, given that, you know, some of the the more selective or the more selective the school, the, the more um, applications they have this year, right? So they, they can't read, the, to read front and front to back right now mm -hmm. is a luxury that not many can afford, if anyone can afford it this year. Yeah, absolutely. And and our thoughts, and we've talked offline about this, um, whether or not this year's trends um, for those who are um, tuning in, listening to this, um, given the kind of the pandemic and test optional applications went up, um, not everywhere. In fact, some schools right. saw a decline in the number of applications. Right. Um, but we've talked about whether or not this is sustainable, whether or not, you know, test optional will stay and um, all of this, which is somewhat tangential to the um, transcript, but it, the context is important, right? When you're dealing with 100,000 applications, which component of the application do you read first and do you focus on to help you as a missions officer read the rest of the file is important. So uh, so coming back to, again, to the transcript, why that's so foundational, um, I think now and ever more so, I would say at certain schools going forward. That's right. Now, I also want to take the, a moment to kind of clarify something that I said that might, um, that might be out of context in that um, when we look at the school profile, which is so important in reviewing an application, 
Um, I said that, you know, uh, that the strength of school oftentimes is a proxy for kind of the social, the socioeconomic wellness of a community. Um, and so I wanted to, a little bit, I wanted to unpack that a little bit and decode that and what that means. And essentially, pragmatically or objectively, you know, some of the factors that a that would help a strength of school rating would be the percentage going on to college, mm-hmm. uh, the percentage of students that score above a three or more, more readily a, a four and a five on the AP exam. Um, it, it might be the, the, the average SAT or ACT score of the graduating class in the prior year. Those are very traditional metrics that would oftentimes equate to a certain strength of school. And so this is meant to be um, kind of a, an equalizer as you will, right? So you could have a lower GPA at a very, very strong school, and that would kind of neutralize or or help you. It might boost that GPA up, where on the opposite end, you could have a very, very inflated high GPA at a weaker school, right? And But we've talked, you know, ad nauseum mm-hmm. again about, you know, it's not just about taking kids from the strongest schools, right? Like you, yeah. you talked about, you know, affirming kids from, from weaker schools, and those kids are just so compelling and um, yeah. Do you have anything to add to that in terms of just that's such a good point? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is such a careful balancing act. Right. Um, that one one hand, you do want to say, you know, if you go to a very rigorous school, like uh, a magnet uh, science and mm-hmm. uh, math technology type of school, um, that particular science course that you're taking, um, it's very difficult. And even beyond kind of just the, the magnet system, um, thinking about certain teachers, right, who, you know, Mr. Johnson, who teaches AP calculus and he just doesn't give so it's very nuanced in the sense that, you know, AP calculus is not the same across the board and schools are not the same across the board um, and helping to contextualize students in that context. At the same time, too, um, now what you're saying about the socioeconomic aspects, um, resources, right, available to yeah. a particular community. So a student, we, we get this question often, well, how many APs do I need to hit? Well, if your yeah. school doesn't offer you know, bazillion APs, um, and you, if you're able to do that one or two AP, if there are any offered, that matters a lot. So these students are, I don't want, you know, um, the impression that um, students are at a disadvantage per se, if they are coming from uh, a less resource community environment. Um, And that's where the contextualization, the nuances will will come out, um, is that they're reading the students in context. Um, So the students who are at schools and communities where there are not a lot of academic resources. It's not, it's apples to oranges. It's not apples to apples, right? In that kind of comparison um, framework. Yeah, right. That's right. And so that that essentially is a kind of the macro view of the transcript. And, mm-hmm. and I guess it, it is important to state that, you know, the transcript is, you know, for many, many institutions, and I don't want to speak for all institutions, it is a very, very good predictor of success in college, right? We, we talked about that at our individual institutions that, you know, the rigor and your performance, um, those are very good indicators of how well you'll do academically. Of course, there are so many other factors and, and, and there's so much nuance into transitions, but um, but doing well, you know, the, you, you do well for a purpose, right? And, and oftentimes we've had to remind our seniors when, you know, when I've been school-based, you know, that, you know, the better you do second semester senior year, even when you know where you're going, you know, right, the, the better prepared you will be for college. And that, that's important. That's not something that we want to forget. And so where, where there are some things that are in the, you know, in the admissions process that are, are maybe not for, 
they're not as effective, you know, for the actual educational purposes. They might be for business purposes, right? But the actual transcript in itself is a very, very good indicator of it's a predictable. It's a it's a valid indicator right. of success. It's day in and day out for the last three to four years. Um, yeah, and also I just when you were speaking about this, I was reminded that if the test optional trend continues, um, aside from the pandemic, right? So we take away some data points, um, good or bad. Um, I think one thing that is not going to go away is the transcript. So in the absence of test scores, um, and the College Board just made some recent announcements about um, discontinuing uh, subject tests, I think the transcript right. will be all the more important where admissions officers will go to, to really get a sense of the student, their academic strength and academic interest. Right. Um, yeah, um, actually, I know that you, um, speaking of school base, yeah. <laughs> I know you been advising students um, from very early on, um, you know, kind of the dean's model of, you know, advising ninth grade all the way through 12th grade. Um, yeah. So you have a lot of experience doing course planning. So um, your thoughts on how- Wow, you know, that, was, that was an awesome transition, Christine. <laughs> yeah, and I just did this uh, earlier this week. I talked to my niece who lives about, you know, a mile and a half down the, down the road from me. And um, she's going to be a ninth grader at Staples High School um, next year. And we talked about, you know, what, what to do, how many honors classes she should take. And one of the things we talked about was looking at her, what we refer to as her terminal class, right? And so we went internally, we refer to that as like, what class will you be taking your senior year? Um, and then we kind of plan backwards, right? And so if you need to double up in an area or take a class in the summer to make sure that you get to that terminal class, that is offered at your high school, that's what's gonna make you um, probably the most um, academically prepared for college, right? And and of course we want, we, we don't want you, it's not, it's not about, okay, like your school offers these APs, you have to take all of them, right? Mm -hmm. It's more about let's let's take the ones that, um, that make the most sense to you. And so um, if a particular high school uh, has AP Calculus BC, as their terminal, their highest math class, you know, you can be like in a rigor rating scale on the transcript, you know, at places where I've worked, you, you couldn't be the top rating in rigor unless you reached AP Calculus BC, um, where at other places, and I'm thinking of like a particular high school in New York City, which I think is such a compelling place. It's, it's Hunter College High School, where if you were in Calculus BC, you still couldn't get the terminal. You couldn't get the highest rating yeah. in, in, uh, in the rigor category because they offer more math classes beyond that. And and we all know of like the few places where you have you know like double digit number of sophomores that are in AP Calculus BC. We talk about these schools all the time, and as admissions officers, you know. Um, so like so maybe getting into AP Calculus BC or whatever it is, whatever format, you know, whatever curriculum your school has, we're looking at the terminal degree or the terminal class um, as kind of a measure of of rigor in some sense, some senses. Right. So um, do you have what, what, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, it's so um, such a great point. Again, I 
I was reminded when you said that about the context, right? So the school mm-hmm. where a BC calculus class could be the terminal, the, the most rigorous, you know, math class right. offered, right? Versus another school where BC calculus is something that sophomores or juniors do, right? right. So that context is important. Um, but math especially um, is uh, important. And we've talked about this in other contexts too, especially um, since both you and I are working on the Wise Star program uh, with Ivy Wise, um, coaching and advising middle school student. Um, do you want to say a little bit more about how even course planning, we're focused obviously on the high school transcript, but right. why middle school could even matter um, in yeah. this process? Yeah. And, and you bring up a great point because a lot of a lot of it, um, it does come down to what you've taken in middle school because that will feed in to the track that you're on in high school. So even even if high schools don't say they have a track, um, right, to, in order to get to the terminal class, right, which would give you, you know, the, the, the highest rigor points, per se, um, you need to you have to plan accordingly. And so if that is algebra, two as a first year in high school, or maybe that's geometry as a first year in high school, you need to make sure that in eighth grade, you're taking the classes that will lead up to the ones where you can start on the track, which essentially is four classes back from the terminal, right? So let's say you're going into algebra one as a ninth grader, well then, and then as a sophomore, then you have to take geometry. And then as a junior, you have to take algebra two. Right. And then as a senior, you have to take pre-calc. So if you know in advance, like, okay, like I need to, get, I need to be algebra ready. I need to have done algebra one by the time I, I finish eighth grade so that I can take geometry in ninth grade, then this is where we can be super helpful in looking ahead and planning ahead. And it's always, it's always easier to try to get on a track or try to move up on the track earlier right it's it's harder to to try to take pre-calculus in the summer yeah to try to take calculus as a senior right you'd rather take algebra one in the summer right to be ready for geometry right you know that that next year so the earlier you can plan ahead the better and and we we seem to be focusing on math right and there there is some some of what maybe of an unfair reason but rubrics tend to be not all not all the time but they tend to be math and science centric because there's more of a concrete hierarchy in what right. is the most rigorous course right so if we were if we kind of stay on the AP curriculum yeah um, you, you know you it's hard to say like your the terminal course in the AP curriculum in in uh, social sciences or in history right, right. you'd have AP AP Euro yeah. or AP US government and it's hard to say which one is the more rigorous course those are different different courses yeah. different disciplines right so but in math and science it is easier to say like okay this yeah. is you know this is the most uh, rigorous course and and oftentimes we talk a lot about a student that takes AP statistics after they've taken mm-hmm. pre-calculus right and so on on the reader sheet you know a lot of AOs or admissions officers would write, oh, dodged calculus, dodge, you know, like right. didn't take calculus. But a lot of times a student wants to take statistics because yeah. they want to go into business and they think, yeah. well, this would be more helpful. But that would in, you know, that would could be an error, yeah. you know, yeah. in judgment. And and I always tell my students like, all right, if you want to take statistics, take it in the summer or take it in addition to calculus, because yeah. really, if you're 
applying to business programs, they want calculus, um, right? So that that's not that's counterintuitive for a lot of students. Yeah, that's such a good point. That's a larger conversation. I know that in the world of education, they're talking about um, our U.S. Uh, you know math sequence um, and what it's so calculus centric, right? Um, so for another day, another podcast episode, yes. we can talk about the math. But you're right in that I think the STEM um, sequence, especially you mentioned math, um, science as well. I was as you were speaking about the the calculus sequence, I was thinking about the um, the AP, you know, even just physics sequence, um, and high schools are. Um, teaching science differently. We are seeing that some um, schools are starting with physics for ninth graders, which traditionally has been a junior year class. So you take, you know, I did biology, chemistry, physics, and then something else senior year. Um, But now some schools are starting with physics, um, biology, chemistry, or physics, chemistry, biology. Um, A lot of schools don't have APs. A lot of schools do, and they have physics one, AP physics one, AP physics two, AP physics C, you know, the two components. And and for students, um, and, and again, this might be a more niche um, subject, but for, I'm just thinking of the engineering students, um, colleges want to see they've taken, you know, BC calculus as well as AP physics C, um, but to get to AP physics C, if you don't do the advanced planning going back to ninth grade, um, it might be really challenging when you get to junior year and you realize, oh boy, I, I can't take AP physics C because I just don't have the room. I didn't, you know, follow the sequence, whatever. Um, so yeah, so it's very important to start early, do that planning early. Um, we, I mean, we don't want to uh, make it sound like there's no change after you, you know, or you need right. to figure out what to do in your life in ninth grade. There is flexibility. Uh, we do encourage students to pursue their interests, explore their interests through their courses over um, throughout high school. At the same time, to some uh, advanced planning, which is why we um, love working with younger students, ninth yeah. graders and tenth graders, and yes, even middle school students um, to help them kind of think through. Um, and give them the space as well as the flexibility should they change. Um, so, you know, if they didn't do so, what are some other options that they could? And there are other options too yes. uh, to reach their end goal if they can't do it through their transcript um, for high school. Yeah. No, and, and another thing that, that we're kind of touching upon is um, common mistakes that, that are, you know, they're, I think they're, they're intuitive in that a lot of times when an eighth grader is transitioning into ninth grade, it's the first time that they, they get to pick their courses. You know, in eighth grade and right. in middle school, your courses are kind of picked for you. Right. And in ninth grade, you know, at, at some schools, you know, you, you can get a free period. Right. And it's like, oh, my gosh, like I've, I've reached I've reached the big time. Right. Like this, I, I can have a free period. And, and I'm not against free periods. I think free periods yeah. are really, really important, uh, especially, you know, with how much is expected of, of our of our young folks today, but I will say that um, a lot of times I want to see my ninth graders really starting to fulfill some of the requirements that are you know a part of the graduation requirements. Whether it's an mm-hmm. arts class, because you should be taking an arts class anyways. My wife is an art teacher. I believe so much yeah. in the power of the arts, fine arts, and performing arts. Right, so. 
Um, because what you don't want to happen is to have to take those so-called requirements later on as a junior or a senior to graduate. You'd rather have that room. And we've talked about this, right, yeah, Christine? Yeah. You want to have that room so that you can double up in an English elective yeah. uh, or take another history elective because that's that's your your core interest. And you want right. to kind of present that narrative and you want to really delve into that subject. And so you can't do that if you have to you know fulfill all your requirements so in ninth grade and in 10th grade start really attacking those requirements yeah that's right um and uh, you bring up a really good point about electives too we didn't um, say as much about that but i don't think they're absolutely just throw away kind of like fill up your schedule right there is i think um great thoughtfulness that can go into selecting electives there yeah yeah, some are just requirements you have to do visual arts or performing arts or technology course for uh, students who might be a parochial school they might have religion class that they have to Mm -hmm. so there are these set requirements but i think there's beyond that there's great flexibility for students as well i always tell students you got to take the five core subjects you know english um history or social science um science math um and language a world language or modern language classical language but beyond that you know if you really are uh, an art student that you might not want to major in art but you love doing ceramics or you love doing visual art like photography yeah there's softness that can go behind it too or um, computer science and engineering and many schools are not core subjects per se, but they're definitely strong, solid electives. So there's really a lot of thoughtfulness that can go into selecting even electives for students um, in their course planning as well. Now, we often talk about, um, and I I don't want to dwell on mistakes, but I want to definitely kind of treat this as like an FAQ and, and really try to help as many people as we can. But oftentimes we hear a student saying, um, oh, well, I, 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 I reached French three, so I'm not, I'm no longer going to take French, right. you know, I'm gonna, in my junior year, I'm going to have that free. I took three years of French. And so I, I made the requirement of, you know, yeah. my school only requires two years of French. And I, I got to French three because I started in eighth grade. What, yeah. what do you say about that? Um, I would still encourage them <laughs> to take a yeah. year of uh, uh, language. I think language um, comes up a lot. I, I think, you know, um, for whatever reason, um, some students love it, but a lot of students are trying to think, you know, hey, I already exactly as you said, oh, I've already hit levels three for Spanish or French, uh, do I need to take fourth year or even a third year? Because we are in a good way, we are starting language studies much earlier. Um, My son, when he was in kindergarten, they were giving Spanish lessons, which is great. I love that. Um, But that doesn't, I think, you know, uh, on the later end of a high school career, um, once you reach Spanish four, let's say, you know, um, as a sophomore, um, to look for other language options, because that's still, I think, the holistic education, right? That you're, yes, you're STEM focused, but you still, there. Um, there's a great need for um, engineers who, you know, can speak other languages and have um, that cultural understanding of other um, culture and places as well. So yeah, don't drop that, but we don't want to make it one size fits all you know, kind of conversation either that everybody must. There are students we've uh, worked with over the years um, who may not have four years of a language for whatever reason. Um, And they're very good reasons. And so that individualized process um, is so much of what we do in our counseling um, is figure out what makes sense for you. It it is not, I mean, there are general guidelines, um, but it's not a one size fit all for every single student out there. That that is such an important kind of uh, clarification 
clarification because I don't want people listening in to say like, oh my gosh, I have to take French. No, because if you, yeah, if you, if you are a science student or, or a history student and you want to, you know, but what we're trying to steer people away from is uh, kind of the, right? well, the semantics of, uh, well, I, I'm, I fulfilled the requirement, the graduation requirement, because fulfilling the graduation requirement is not the same thing as competing for a spot in college admissions. Um, and we're not saying that everyone has to compete for a spot at college admissions, but you have to know that uh, that you're going to be compared to a lot of kids that will will take yeah. five, well, four years of all five core, and then in some cases, you know, double up mm-hmm. in some of the areas using some of their elective, you know, course periods, right? So. Um, um, what did we cover kind of as much as we could in a digestible amount or is there, did we, did we miss I'll, anything in I'll terms of a final question for you, Nat? <laughs> yeah, you right so this is, um, one form or another, we often get this, um, what is, what's better, um, mm-hmm. in a, in an easier class or right. B in a harder class or some kind of minimum GPA that I need, right. Yeah. Um, to get into a good college. Well, you know, (laughs) we get this so much. Right. And I know like our, um, you know, the founder of Ivy Wise, she loves answering this question because it's it's getting the A in the harder class. Um, It you know, that's that's the best thing that you can do is get the A in the in the tougher class. Um, And if that's not an option. Right. uh, It all really depends. It, it, It comes down to nuance again. It depends on what your goals are. Right. It depends on how you're trying to prepare. It depends on the rest of your um, of your curriculum, right? If you if you have a really difficult course load, um, I think it's okay to get a B sometimes. But it but again, I think it comes down to where you're applying and, and what your goals are. Um, ultimately, you want to try to do as best as possible in every course you take, right? One of my biases right. when I was when I was reading was I had a very difficult time, and you you mentioned this before, I had a very difficult time admitting or kind of advocating for students that didn't do well in gym <laughs> or like another insert other elective that was yeah. thought as like just like, oh, I just have to go through the motions. It just, right. for me, it just triggered this response. Like, why, why do they, how could you fail gym, right? You have all A's or, you know, and so, right. um, but that is just to, to kind of illustrate, like, obviously try to do as well as you can. And sometimes I think this is really important. Sometimes that means taking, uh, you know, thinking about your overall rigor so that you can find a balance. Right. And it's not about just kind of going in and, and trying to, you know, it's not all business. Right. Right. But it's it's really having, you know, a balance and mental health and, and time to spend with friends. And um, that's just as important as well. And and we ask a lot of the students today. And so I worry that, you know, like there's a point of diminishing returns, right? Because w- when you do get there, uh, are you, are you happier or, you know, are you, are you better prepared? You know, so that that's, that is something that, that probably needs to be reevaluated in, in, in how college colleges look at transcripts, right? Like, when is that point of diminishing returns? Right. Yeah. And in piling up all the APs or advanced level classes uh, that yeah. might not be the right fit for every student. Um, I, I, another version of what you just said, I've, I tell students that you've got to calibrate and you want to maximize both. Yeah. 
matter. And so do course rigor. But again, it comes down to that individualized student, right? Um, sometimes it makes sense for a student to take AP US history as a challenging course and risk mm. getting that B plus or B. Right. Versus taking the regular U.S. history and getting an easy A. But that's mm-hmm. not the case for every student out there. Um, it, so it really is that calibration and working individually with students, something that you and I constantly think about as we work with our students, right, that it's not a one size fit all. We have some general guidelines that we just kind of went through, but it really does come down to that individualized attention and figuring out what is the best for that particular student in that particular context. Yeah, um, absolutely. Great. Well, uh, Nat, it's always a pleasure talking with uh, you. Um, I know it's a podcast, but I feel like we we always have a <laughs> conversation, right? Um, and I always learn something new from you. So thank you so much uh, for sharing no. your wisdom and insight. Um, and thank you to all our listeners um, for tuning in to Just Admit It. And you can catch up on all of our previous episodes by visiting the Just Admit It podcast page and be sure to bookmark our uh, Ivy Wise knowledge base to stay up to date with all the latest higher ed news and advice and constantly every day I feel like I'm getting new information so don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok we're all over social media for additional college prep resources and stay tuned for our next episode which um in which we will discuss the medical school admissions process, which is very important. Um, Mm -hmm. It's going to be another fascinating conversation. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you. Thanks.